0: Hey friends, welcome to our digital space. On This Girl Life, we're trying to figure life out and there's no better way to do that than with your best friend by your side. So join us each week as we bring on experts to help us navigate this girl life. All right, here are your hosts, Whitney and Kristen. It's TGL Tuesday, pretty pumped about it right now. (laughs) It's Whitney episode forty-one. Episode forty-one. Yeah, it's Whitney of This Girl Life. I'm one half of This Girl Life podcast, and I, I guess I'll do a little intro of myself. We have it in a while, so we're going to do that. I am a nurse, an NP student. That means nurse practitioner student, a mom, and a wife, and a health and wellness blogger. Kristen, introduce Ooh. yourself, girl.
1: I am Kristen, the second half of TGL. I am a mom of Quinny. I am a wife. I have two dogs. I am a lawyer turned I don't even know what I do. I work for a startup now. Director <laughs> of Strategic Partnership is my title. I don't even know what that means. And, and I am a lifestyle and fashion blogger.
0: Boom. Welcome to TGL you guys. Make That's sure a- you
1: follow us on Insta. Yeah, let's all just good shit happen.
0: Promote ourselves right now. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> we haven't done that in forever it's like do people
1: actually remember who we are I know it's funny I had a girl dm me on instagram the other day and she's like I can't tell the difference between your voices but one of you talked about this what is it (laughs) (laughs) I was like it's cool it was me and I sent her the link to it but I thought that was so funny because I feel like we do kind of just mesh yeah we do you know if you don't know us then we're just like Right. Who's talking? I right. know. Who's talking? <laughs> All right. You know what's weird? What? So this is like a weird story, but part of my goals for 2020 were, you know, making my blog better. Yeah. And so I've been going back into my old posts. And if they don't have pinnable images, I've been creating pinnable images. Nice. And I was working on your wedding post, which is so Aww. funny. I posted it on your wedding. And so I was going through photos of you and me, um, trying to find one of you and Kale. I cannot tell you how many pictures I was like, nope, that's me. Oh, wait, no, it's Whitney. Nope, that's me. Oh, shoot, no, that's Whitney. Like, there are so many pictures from back in the day when we both had long blonde hair where mm-hmm. we just look so
0: similar. Yeah, I know. We really, so, yeah. Around our wedding, our hair was so similar. Ivan Jack, Kristen's hair extensions. That's true best friend the day of the wedding. I was like, Kristen, my hair's not long enough. I mean, give me hair extensions. <laughs> and then I, I was talking to Kayla about this the other day, how literally I was so paranoid. Cause I hate ants and remember ants got on my wedding dress and I was like, Kristen, yeah. she came with me everywhere. You guys like for our photos,
1: uh, oh, you were just the best. Guys, I was the one that like, she has this gorgeous photo where her veil is like flying in the air. Uh, it's me. It's yeah. me. I'm in back there holding it and fanning <laughs> it, throwing up. it out. That was so fun. And picking ants out of the inside of her skirt <sighs> dress. If you know it was me, such a fun day.
0: it was a great day, <laughs> except those ants for that tiny second. I was like. And And if you guys
1: don't know this, Wit and I got married two weekends apart from each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. May was was crazy. crazy. Awesome. We're coming up on five years. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. I know. And you know what that means? What? That means 15 years from high school graduation.
0: Oh, I was going to say, does that mean like another diamond band?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: I think five should mean something significant. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Because Adam and I are not the kind. Are you guys the kind where, like, you know, I don't know them, so I can't even, but like, first anniversary is wood, second anniversary is paper, third anniversary is tin. What? You know, no. I know. No, no there's like,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. We were <laughs> those not are those. Like,
1: those are anniversary things. Yeah. No, nope. not me. No, not us. Anytime at all. Adam asks, I'm like, you can just add a band to my wedding. Right. Like, Let's just like, give me another band. Bling yeah. me up. <laughs> if you ever wonder just buy
0: diamonds <laughs> right that's oh man yeah no we ugh, we will be posting we'll post a little wedding photo of each of us for you guys to see
1: we should so absolutely cute.
2: okay yeah. well
0: we're gonna get into our favorite segment yay and nay with Wit and k it's yay and nay with Wit and k
1: oh shit
0: do you want to go or should i go sure okay you can oh Okay,
1: I, don't I have care. a little I got' him, so you
0: me I have a little tip for people. Ooh, so this is your yay. this is my yay, okay. so okay. I decided it kind of relates to what we talked about with like Instagram and following us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I found this company, this website or whatever um, it's called i q hashtags.com okay, okay, so basically you go on, you log in and it totally doing this right now. You, yeah. Well, it, it, <laughs> first off, it's like a two-parter. So you can first, you can okay. find hashtags um, cool. through it, which is amazing. Like ones that aren't banned. So that's part of this. So basically okay. what this thing does is it like tells you how many hashtags you maybe have used in the past that are banned, what those are not to use, which is like, who freaking knows that, right? Right. I don't know. what. Then it also tells you mass followers. So like who out of your group of people are are mass followers. Now, some of those, you guys, if you look at them, some of them are, like, friends I know from high school. It's just because they're people who, like, use Instagram to, like, actually follow people. Like, they are following tons of celebrities. And so it doesn't always mean they're mass followers. But I did go to the ones because these are always the people who have, like, 10,000. It divides it up from, like, people, um, how many people they're following. So maybe they have, like, 500 followers. But they have, like, they're following ten thousand or something, so it divides it up like that. Oh,
1: interesting! And I interesting. went to those
0: people, and it was like scary ass Joe Schmo from Malaysia. I'm like, right? Who the f are you? And then here's the here's what's amazing, guys. This is the yay. You can literally click their name, and it goes right to their page, and you can say, um, unf- not like it unfollows you block or whatever. Yeah. So you can't block, but you can remove, you can basically unfollow yourself or like they have them unfollow you somehow. Wow. Yeah. Remove followers. Interesting. Okay. So if you're like trying to build, this is my tip. If you're trying to build a business, whether it's Instagram, whether it's your, you know, a small, you're a small entrepreneur, um, small business entrepreneur, that is so key because Instagram actually looks at those types mm-hmm. of things like how many mass followers you have, right. if you're using the right. wrong hashtags, which is ridiculous, but it's true. So right. I will share this on my, like, yeah, we'll somehow share this through Instagram, like our TGL Instagram. But yeah, that is my tip. And yay, I was just having so much fun. I'm
1: like, bye. That's sweet. I'm going to do that tonight. That's cool. I'm going to look at that. Yeah. I tried to do like a clean up a couple months ago and it just takes so long to do it individually, you know, Toast. but that's awesome. Toast okay, me goes. Good. Yeah. This makes it easy. Sweet. Okay. Uh, my yay. I guys, I'm like into some beauty products. Like last time it was beauty product. This yes. time it is. I finally bought the Revlon blow dryer roll brush thing. My that's been like all over Instagram. My sister talking about this. Okay. Guys, I have very thick hair. I don't have very thick hair. I have very fine, but a shit ton of hair, and I have curly hair. So I always have to blow my hair out, especially in the back. This thing is freaking amazing. So I take my blow dryer, and I, like, quick blow dry my hair, you know? Right. And then I use this. It is, like, smoother than smooth. It takes me, like, five minutes. Nice. It is freaking awesome. Can we Amazon link it?
0: Sweet. i will okay. revlon
1: like 35 bucks oh see i Sweet. need this yes okay you need it it would be magic see So yeah
0: that's me. Yeah. i love that you guys i think as we get older i mean raise your hands right now if your hair has gone curly which i've always had straight hair oh it's the hormones right
1: Ugh. oh gosh. my gosh it's crazy
0: oh my crazy. lord anyways okay that's a yay i love that okay <sighs> let's get negative negative <laughs> Uh, nay. Yeah, nay. Um I think my nay has to be My Little Pony. Okay? You ready? <laughs> the TV my show little Pony My Little Pony. Yes, here's why, okay? New My Little Pony, you guys, is not the same as 1986 My Little Pony. It is <laughs> scary as f. And guess whose kid has been watching it thinking it like wasn't that scary. Scary meaning, like, they just, like, have a lot of, like, good and evil, like, people, you know?
1: Mm. That is an
0: ex-nade from our house.
1: Interesting.
0: So just beware. I mean, I'm very particular about what um, she watches. And... Yeah. I mean, yeah. No way. No way, Jose. No more. Sorry. Interesting. So...
1: Yeah, we're not really in the TV zone yet.
0: No, she's she's so
1: young. Yeah. Yeah. She likes... um, Sesame Street, but only when they're singing, which mm-hmm. is really like the letter of the day, the number of the day. And that's pretty much it. And then she couldn't care less. So we're, we're not there yet. But I'll keep that in mind when we get to that point because, yeah, I don't want her watching that crap.
0: Yeah. No, it's, again, we are particular too. That's why this has been a big branch out. We were only Mickey and we were only like Elena or Disney movie. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. She loves unicorns. Right. So we started watching it. No, right. not anymore. Speaking of TV shows today, our... Our um amazing guest, Jessica Leahy. She shares sure. her T V show that she helped write. It's on Amazon Prime, Stinky Ooh. and Dirty, I think. We mm-hmm. we actually watched a few episodes. It's yeah. Nice. Stinky and dirty. No. Stinky and dirty. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It has a really cute we'll link to it. Yeah, we're gonna link it. Um, it'll be everywhere. Okay. So, anyways, that was actually a really good positive show that we we just started watching a few days ago.
1: So cool. Yeah. My nay. It's hard hmm. to, some days it's just, so yeah, hard. it's hard. <laughs> I, I've been in like a good headspace, so I'm not feeling super negative. Um, my nay is going to be about Instagram. My nay is going to be, this is like a really particular one. <laughs> I follow like some big bloggers and I have stopped following big bloggers because I told you guys this a long time ago. They make me feel bad about myself. Yeah. Well, one of this blogger that I fo- have followed for a while, she just showed um, a home tour mm-hmm. of her two and a half story closet and I unfollowed. What? I for, can, I have to know who this is. Who was it? I'll send it to you in private because okay, okay. I don't want to put her on blast yeah, because yeah, yeah. she's really, she is sweet. But I was like, seriously? Like, I love a good home tour, but I'm like, I I can't, I can't, I cannot take you seriously when you're walking me down. She has a place to put her Christmas tree in her own freaking closet. And as she's walking me down the spiral, huge staircase to her second level, where it's going to be her Instagram closet. I can't do it guys. I can't. I was like, boop. This yeah. is not my life. This is, I am sitting in my closet right yeah. now, guys. Like, you, I can touch both sides of the wall <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this closet.
0: Speak for yourself. I'm like, I'm in military housing.
1: Like, I'm with I you. Just, it, like, freaking rubbed me so wrong. Yeah. And I was like, and all her whole shtick is fashion and try-ons, and I sure. get that. But, like, where is she based out no, of? Nope. I'm just nope, curious nope. where she's, like, based out of. Midwest. Okay somewhere i honestly i couldn't even tell you exactly where okay
0: i always like to know because yeah, i don't
1: i, I don't know yeah
0: well i i don't blame you you do you make you happy yeah. girl that's what i say i was like good for you in your big ass closet but
1: no can't yeah. do it
0: anymore and that's okay <laughs> that's what you have to do for yourself we've talked
1: about that you know yeah. Yeah. so okay, okay guys yep today we have on Whitney kind of prefaced it already. Jessica Leahy. She is a boss. Brilliant. She's like the guru of parenting ultimately. Mm -hmm. Like get out your pen and paper because honestly, she gives so many amazing tips in this on just, and it was cool to hear her perspective because Whitney and I have very different age kids, but it applies all the way through kids that are 20. Like Jessica has a kid that's 20 years old and she talked about how she incorporates stuff still. And so it's just really cool to hear a very smart woman's perspective on parenting and yeah. how we can just do it to the best of our abilities.
0: She again, her book The Gift of Failure is out. We will link it. She has so many amazing recommendations you guys for parenting books throughout this episode. We were just like jotting them down. It's it's mm-hmm. nuts. So, we hope you enjoy because honestly, this is this was one of just the most entertaining Educational episodes. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's going to be cool. On the website, I actually am going to make a pinnable image for you guys. So you can just pin all of the book recommendations that she puts because I think she gave us like 25 book recommendations. Yeah. And so I'll have that image for you so you guys can just save it as a picture. Plus, I'll have all her information. So our website for this post is going to be chock full of so much good stuff. So make sure you tune into podcast.com. Perfect. Enjoy.
0: Well, we will jump right in. There is so much to talk about here. Um, We are excited to have you. We have wanted you to come on TGL because we love your book and we love everything that you have to say. So please tell us a little bit about your background, Jessica, and how you got to the point of writing The Gift of Failure.
2: So I have been a, well, I've been a writer forever. I've written, you know, since I was really young and love it, you know, editor in chief of my school paper, those kind of, you know, origin stories. And, uh... I was a teacher for 20 years. I have been a teacher for 20 years. I just recently lost my last teaching gig, which was I taught at an inpatient drug and alcohol rehab for kids. So kids would, you know, have to be inpatient, which meant they also had to go to school. And so we had a school at the rehab. And that was nice and flexible for me because I travel a lot. So for 20 years, I taught every grade from like 6 to 12. But my heart lies in middle school. I love, love, love middle school. I love. If you've read Gift of Failure, you know I love middle school. And uh, you know, really, it came out of concerns I was seeing with things that are getting were getting in way of the learning. I mean, as a as a teacher, when I look at how, as a parent, when we look at how other parents do their thing, every once in a while, you look at another parent, and you're like, okay, well, I wouldn't do that, but that's their business, whatever. <laughs> but the problem was is that the way the parents of my students were parenting their kids and the way I was teaching their kids um, was often interfering, not just with sort of their competence and sort of how they're going to do over the long term, but was interfering with their actual learning at school and in general, obviously. And that's that nexus between the way we parent, um, whether that's because we use extrinsic motivators or because we're doing too much for our kids, that nexus of learning with um, parenting was what really fascinated me and what led not only to this book, but a column I did for the New York Times for three years called the Parent Teacher Conference, where that's all I did was write about the intersection of those two things. I
1: think it's so fascinating is Whitney and I both have kids. And so we're both really fascinated in you as a teacher and as a mom and how you came to this. And so I'm curious, you kind of talk about you were as a teacher kind of saw this, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, miscommunication in how you were teaching your kids. What was that aha moment for you though, of like, I have to do something different. I have to teach different. What was that moment that really set the spark off?
2: there were a bunch of small moments um that i talk a lot about in the book but the 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 singular aha moment for me was um a student wrote this paper for me explaining that her need to look perfect to appear effortless at school to just get the every point she could and to pass you know to get an a on everything was interfering with her ability to um enjoy learning really learning had become the side the point for her and that was devastating for me, mainly because I had taught her for three years, and that was not the case in sixth grade. When she was in sixth grade, this was in eighth grade that she wrote this paper. When she was in sixth grade, she was just all in, loved learning, would come to school, so excited. And um, and then in eighth grade, she said, yeah, it's learning's beside the point for me. I'm just so consumed with the perfectionism and the grades and stuff like that. And what was really interesting is that she was also a competitive ski racer and her times were getting slower because she was so focused on being technically perfect every time that she couldn't just get into that flow state at sort of at one with her skis at one with the mountain um and and sort of just go fast
0: yeah it seems like I, as i was reading your book there seems to just have been a culture shift like I, maybe maybe it's always been there i well, I mm-hmm. don't think it's always been there because I don't think my parents were like how I was growing up. I hear you talk about that girl mm-hmm. and I was like, gosh, I was a competitive swimmer and I was the same way. Like I let perfectionism and being perfect stop yeah. me from actually continuing on yeah. in swimming. And so I don't think it's always been there. And, and so how has this culture shift just – like what has that looked like over the years? Was that always there when you were teaching at the very beginning of your career –
2: I think it was there at the very beginning, but uh, you also have to realize sort of that there's been this shift from, you know, we had. It, through history, where we had lots of kids, and they were we could expect that they would do better than us economically. Um, you know, the stakes weren't quite as like the media has us believing that everything is so dire, and that our kids are not going to get into college, and that even if they do, they they're going to have all this debt, and they're never going to do as well as we did economically. And um, the problem with freaking parents out like that is that it gets our, Stress levels going, and we go into like, um, we go into fight or flight, and we feel like we need to do everything we can to protect our kids, to snowplow everything out of the way for our kids, to, you know, make sure that our kids are protected at every turn and that they never feel frustrated, and that we get every single point that's coming to them. And the problem with that is not only is it terrible for us as parents, it just puts a lot of pressure on kids and makes them feel like there are no moments to breathe and that they have nothing of their own because we are so focused on, um, directing every single thing they do. And that's really, um, that they're freaking out. (laughs) They're really stressed out and they're really, really scared. And they're really feeling like they have no, nothing of their own, um, no space to make mistakes. And that's, that's really stressing them out. So,
1: The thing I find interesting about that, that topic of, you know, we're giving our kids everything we're snow plowing for them is I feel like Whitney and I would argue that we are of that age where we weren't given that and the kids Mm -hmm. under us are. And so we're hearing right now, (laughs) kids are getting the trophies for, you know, 10th place. They're getting Mm -hmm. everything handed them to them. They're getting college admission handed to them because their parents paid for it. Where Whitney and I, I feel like we would fight that. Like I didn't get a trophy if. Right. i didn't get first place you know so for me it almost feels very new this culture shift of, well i
2: you know i don't know that it's and so I don't new i I, you know, one of the things that's happened is that a lot of parents, if you ask them to step back and say, you know, did your parents pick your classes for you? Or, you know, did your parents fill out your college applications for you? And they'll say, no, no, but it's different now. We have to, you know, we have this, they have this pronoun problem where, but it well, and I have to back up for a second because. Um, one of the things I said was that the, I keep talking about the parents of my students or the parents or they, but the problem is, is at that same time, when I got that paper from my student where she was saying, um, you know, that she was so obsessed with being perfect all the time. And I got really mad at the parents of my students. The problem was, is that the very, that same day, the same day I got that essay, I found out that my own child, who was not my younger son, who was nine at the time, um, didn't know how to tie his own shoes. And that was one of those moments I joke that it was like you know in a cartoon when a lightning bolt comes down and incinerates the character and you're just like a a heap of smoking ash that's what happened to me because I was so embarrassed I realized oh my gosh I'm livid at the parents of my students for messing up what I as their noble teacher am trying to do which is to get their kids to learn and they're screwing it up for me but at the same time then I had to turn around say oh well I can't really be angry at them because I'm doing the exact same thing. So for me, I don't know that I would I don't think I could have written Gift of Failure just from the perspective of this like high and mighty up on her high horse teacher who is mad at the parents of her students. I, you know, gift of failure is really written as my part memoir of coming to terms with the fact that I was parenting my children into a state of helplessness and what do we need to do to turn that around for my students and for my own kids? And I can tell you right now that when I was growing up, I'm almost 50. I'm a little bit older than you guys, I'm 49. But growing up in the 70s, gosh, no. I mean, my parents never picked my classes. My parents had nothing to do with college stuff. Um, mostly what my parents trusted me to do was to make good decisions. There was, you know, there was also, you know, now we have the internet and parents are really scared about the things that could be going on on the internet and mm-hmm. I was speaking to some parents last night and I said they were asking me about monitoring kids you know internet usage and I said Think a little bit about what it was like in the 70s and 80s when you had a crush on some other person and they called your house and you're all excited. And then halfway through the conversation, you realize your parent is on the line in the guest room listening (laughs) in and think a little bit about how kids use the Internet to like kids do not talk on the telephone much anymore. They use the internet. They either text or they use some other chatting app. And so to read a kid's texts is like listening in on the line in the guest room. And that's, um, oh my God, I would have been humiliated if my parents had done that. To me. And so that's what I ask parents to think about is that Yes, it feels dangerous and dire, and the media is scaring us to death about all the people that are waiting to, you know, put our kids in, in into, you know, sex trafficking. But at the same time, we have to think a little bit about the fact that um, our kids need that space. They need the space to have some privacy mm-hmm. and to have their own lives. And if we're sucking all that up from them and um, being on top of them all the time, then they don't ever get the chance to sort of develop their own their own lives
0: yeah over I mean you speak about it in the book so over parenting you say it it kills curiosity and when you when you just say that though over parenting and I think about like yeah it kind of it kind of you know if I had to look at her text messages or I'm over and hovering over her it definitely, you know, would put a weight on her and make her feel bad. But how Mm -hmm. do you balance that? Like, because to me, I still think about that. I'm like, okay, like, I don't want to read her text messages when she gets older, but I'm worried. I'm worried about like, how do you, how do you manage that?
2: Uh, I ch- Well, <laughs> so every single day I have a, a little mantra that's sort of part of my parenting that I have to rely on every single day or I'm willing to – I'm liable to go totally overboard. I'm liable to go bonkers again. So my <laughs> my mantra that I have to think about every single day is – Two things that this is a long haul job that I'm not I can't operate from the emergency that's right in front of me now, when it feels super dire when my when my emotions are up, when, frankly, there have been times when I have wanted to get in the car and go off to school and say to some ten year old kid, How dare you tease my child? You know <laughs> that we get into that sort of emergency headspace where our emotions are really high. but we can't operate from that. Place And believe me, as a teacher, when someone does, when I get communications from parents, when they're operating from that place of sort of really high emotions, it's, it's really obvious. Um, so I try to think really hard about giving it some space. I try to think really hard about the fact that, um, do I want to interfere right now and shut this thing down or do for my kid right now? You know, if I see my kid uh, loading the dishwasher and they're doing it wrong and it's just making me want to scream because there's food on those dishes and they're not loading those plates in there, right? Do I want to interfere right this second or do I want my kid to be the kind of kid who's going to be able to do it right over the long run. Mm-hmm. And I know that's easy to talk about when we're talking about a dishwasher, but when we're talking about texts and things like that, I think there are a couple other considerations. And and one, first of all, I'm not, the, there are so many good books about this out there. There's one by Devorah Heitner called Screenwise. There's one by Julianne, by Julie Miner called um, Raising... Screen Smart Kids, I think. I'm so sorry, Juliana, I can't remember the title. And one called, um, one by George Shapiro called The New Childhood. All of these talk really specifically about this topic. But when I'm out talking to kids, I hear some really interesting things. And one of the things I hear is that, for example, Let's say your friend, and this is a real situation. Um, girl, a bunch of girls are texting together. They have like a, a group chat, and it's how they communicate with each other all day long. And one of the girls suddenly gets cut out from that chat be- with no explanation. All of a sudden, she's just not part of the chat anymore. She is devastated. She feels, you know, she feels like she's just been shut out and iced by her friends. I was talking to these girls, and I got to the bottom of the bottom of the situation. And it turns out that all of the other girls said, we didn't want to hurt her feelings. It's just that we know her mom reads her texts. And we didn't want her mom to be reading our stuff, because that's private. And so there are these unintended consequences that I don't think we think about when we go to read texts and there's a section in the book where I quote this woman named Lonnie Coombs and she's a, um, she was a former prosecutor and she uses what she calls the plain view doctrine, which is you're allowed to go looking. (laughs) It's like when you get pulled over at a traffic stop, if that police officer sees a bong in the back of your car, he's allowed to go ahead and start searching your car for pot, but. He can't open the glove box. (laughs) That's true. But the other thing that we have to remember is that if we see stuff if we see communications about how much they hate us and ps our kids tell other kids that they hate us sometimes because that's how they're feeling in that moment if we see that stuff we can't unsee that stuff and and it It's akin to not only the television thing, but also their diary. I mean, I think it's... If I had known... I've been a writer my whole life, and I kept a diary when I was younger, and if I knew that people were reading my diary, there's no possibility I would have been able to be honest in that space. And that was the only private space I had to be 100% honest with myself. And so I'm really worried about the ramifications of kids not being able to have free communications between themselves and for kids to have sort of that space to be honest um, just for themselves. It's, It's so important. So I think... It's so hard to draw a middle ground. And even with my own kids, I have never once ever, ever, ever read their emails. I've never read their texts. I've never looked at their diaries. I've never looked at their journals. But I will tell you that they know that's open to change. If I have some reason, if if under the plain view doctrine or under mm-hmm. the suspicion doctrine, I think there's a reason for me to go snooping. I know I have the passwords, mm-hmm. but and I'll use them after having a conversation with them. Right. Not, not sort of just jumping right in with both feet. So there's got to be some middle ground for this. I, I definitely think like, in during
0: this conversation, I was going back to just putting myself, I'm not even, I wasn't even in my teen years, but I was thinking like right now, would I want my husband to just jump on my phone and read my text, even At- though there's nothing in there, but exactly, it's like, put yourself in their shoes. And I remember as a kid, that's all I would say to my mom. I would say, just put yourself in my shoes. Yeah. Just understand where I'm at. Hear me. <laughs> listen. Like I, w- I'm such a yeller in fights, and I realized right. as I got older that it was because when I was younger I didn't feel heard from my parents. Like I just felt right. like it constantly was not being heard. So um, you just there's so much to like this whole conversation. Yeah, and it's such a big topic, but. If that's like one thing I think I took away from your book, it was definitely giving them that little bit of space and like mm-hmm.
2: allowing them to be heard because that is what I love. I wanted. love that you, I love that you say that because when I, I, so I speak all over the country and what I, one of the things I do is I'll speak at a school during the day. I'll talk to the kids in the afternoon. I'll do professional development with the teachers about like learning and the brain stuff. And then in the evening I'll talk to the parents. And one of my favorite things to do is I ask the kids a couple of questions that are really quite revealing about like how many of them get paid for grades and a couple of other questions. But one of the things I do also is I give them all my email and I say, you have a couple of hours between before I speak to your parents. What do you want them to know? What do you want me to tell them? What do you feel like is not getting through? This, the emails I get are amazing. And the number one response I get in some form or another is, that the kids don't feel seen or heard for themselves. Sometimes it comes in the form of I'm not my brother or I'm not my sister or I'm not a mini you redo that you get to, you know, get a do over on your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids say, you know, I just feel like, they think uh, they think they're raising one person and that person that fantasy person they think they're raising doesn't have anything to do with me i don't think they see or hear me and what i hear in the classroom that's really interesting is I sometimes tell this story about this kid i taught at the rehab who had been kicked out of high school and i had asked all of my students to write about someone at their school that had influenced them in some way where they'd learned something interesting. And this kid told me he couldn't do that, that he had no people who had been positive influences on him. And I said, well, it doesn't have to be a teacher. It can be anyone. And so this kid wrote about this guy who, um, sort of monitors the rubber room the place where kids go when they get kicked out of class for behavioral issues and he was in the middle of deciding the kid was in the middle of deciding whether or not he was going to go back and finish high school the kid the school had given him like a probationary thing like if you finish rehab you can come finish and he didn't know if he was going to but finally he decided that if he went back it was going to be because of this one guy that this guy who actually wasn't even a teacher he was just on staff at the school sort of in a you know a staff position He said, he's the only one who will miss me if I don't show up. He's the only guy who saw me. No one else, everyone thinks they know who I am, but this is the only guy who ever took the opportunity to really know me. And I hear that in some form or another from kids all the time. And it wasn't until I started really getting to know the kids I had and not the kids I wished I had that we started having really meaningful conversations about their goals and their hopes and their dreams and when they screw up and all that kind of stuff. So I love that you said that. That's a really beautiful Uh, way of putting it. I think that's amazing because I think that rings so true with
1: everyone. Like if you asked me what I want, it's to be heard when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm not. And if you ask my 15-month-old daughter, same thing. (laughs) Like when she's freaking out, it's because she wants something and wants me to figure out, you know, like – I think that's such like a beautiful theme is like, we all just want to be heard. And it's really figuring out how to, and I think you've done such a beautiful job of that is like really listening
2: to kids and hearing them out and letting them talk. What's really fun is when I talk to kids and they tell me about the things that they want their parents to hear. one (laughs) One of the things I do when I go to schools is to help kids phrase their conversations with their parents in ways that they can feel heard. It's like classic um you know psychology 101 it's you know i teach them to say things like when you do this <laughs> it makes me feel like this it's you know the yeah. classic stuff that right. so that parents won't get their so that cuz we tend to get our hackles up if a kid comes to us and says you're so mean you you know you yeah. interfered with my life in this way blah 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 and we tend to get really defensive and jump to our own rescue but if but if a kid comes to us and says you know what when you read my texts, it makes me feel like you don't trust me, and it's harder to get a, have a, to get a defensive to get that defensive response going. So one of my jobs, my, the best part of my job, is to help kids and parents hear and see each other and listen to each other and have a shared vocabulary that they can both understand, so that they can know each other and not these like false mm. visions of each other. So yeah. that's that's part of my job I love the most. In nursing,
0: we call that therapeutic communication. Exactly.
2: <laughs> my husband is a physician actually. And uh, he, a lot of what we talk about that he does with his patients is to try to say, to say things like what I hear you yes. saying.
0: Exactly. I'm telling you, going <laughs> to nursing school changed how I yep. approached my parents and talking, yeah. my, my now husband, it changed everything. Cause I learned about therapeutic communication, but I, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, it is. I just want to say this one thing, listening to you, just talking about your experience with kids and interacting, I just have to say like what a gift it is to be able to hear somebody. Like as we're speaking and talking, it's such a gift to, especially just hearing children and their thoughts and their feelings. I just, I don't know. I was almost like tearing up because it is such a gift to just, to just let somebody
2: pour their heart heart out on the table So Mm -hmm. it's also, it's also kids to, one of the things that I talk about a lot is, um, when parents say, okay, I can't solve this problem. Like mornings just really stink in our house. We can't get out the door in the mornings. We can't get off to school on time. The kids won't get dressed in time. And One of the things I often do is say, well, have you ever asked your kids how they think they could help make mornings go better? If you were to say to your kid, you know, sweetie, mornings are really tough around here and it just feel, it makes me feel tense and bad. And I can't imagine it makes you feel good either. So what would be some ways that we could make mornings go more smoothly around here? The idea that we ask them their input blows mm-hmm. their little minds. And this mm-hmm. is not my idea. I mean, Vicki Hofla talks about this in the book Duct Tape Parenting. Um, K.J. Del Antonio talks about this in How to Be a Happier Parent. Getting the kids engaged in the solution, I mean, that's what they want is to have some control and some autonomy in, the, in creating the, a life that is... Right. More pleasant for everyone, and so we tend to say, "Okay, here's how mornings are going to go," and here we're going <laughs> to set all these alarms, and we'll set these timers. And I read in this magazine that if we do this, it'll make life better for everybody. But asking sometimes can have the biggest effect of any of anything else you can do for kids.
1: I love that, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I keep bringing up my 15 month old. That's the only thing I have to relate to. Whitney's daughter. Fine. We're like, well, I think what's fascinating is I have an app that tells me what is going on in Quinn's brain. I don't know how they know, but and right now she's at. <laughs> almost 16 months and her big thing is she wants to be her own person that's like when she's she's figuring out how to interact with me to tell me what she wants and one of the big things was let her do what she can do safely so like I can't feed her anymore if I try to put a spoon anywhere near her mouth she slaps it away but the second I just let her go to town and I think that's such a it applies to 15-year-olds trying to get out of the house to go to freshman year of high school, you know?
2: like so funny you say that, because there's this amazing book by Lawrence Steinberg called Age of Opportunity, and I quote a line from, it's about adolescence and how the brain is changing the plastic adolescent brain, and how everyone talks about how teenagers stink, but actually he says, no, 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 it's an age of opportunity. And one of the lines from that book that I have written on a piece of paper that I keep in my office, on, like, on display, it's around here somewhere right now, is Permit when you can, protect when you must. Mm -hmm. So, your default permission, your default setting should be to say, Yeah, you can do that. And protect when you absolutely must. Yeah. That sort of with toddlers, with tiny kids, all the way up through teenagers. That's such a great way to think about it. I I love that bit of information from Larry.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is. I and it's hard to do. I'll be the first to admit. She's my first kid, and it's so hard to be like, wait, you don't <laughs> want me to feed you yogurt? You just want to use your hands and lick it off the table? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go. You know, but. It's them learning to be their own person and giving them that freedom and that opportunity to express themselves even in such a
2: young, young age. And it's just. Well, keep in mind that from zero to two, and then again from about 12 to 18, 12 to 20, are the two most rapid periods of change in the brain, the two. Unbelievably, um, what it's this plastic brain thing I'm talking about, where um, in teenagers it's because they're the the uh, gray matter in their brain is myelinating and turning into white matter, and they're they're getting new synapses, like millions and millions of new synapses, and it's the same thing for really really little kids, and part of that requires that they have some control over their bodies and their environment so that they can maximize the number of connections they're making in their brain. So it's not just like them being obstinate and right. being obnoxious. It's their brains actually like trying to grow as fast as possible and needing that input and that control in order to make that happen.
0: This trans this kind of transitions and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of into what you talk about in the book of household contributions.
2: Yeah, That's, household duty. Love but, it. Yeah, love
0: it. And I'm doing it with my my three year old, and she thrives off of it. I've never seen someone <laughs> just like, do you want to help me unload the dishwasher? <gasps> Oh my gosh. I, you know, just like <laughs> she can't believe
2: it. <laughs> you should see the videos I get of like little, little kids doing like just putting the stuff in the bottom load of the dishwasher. I have this, this one dad sent me a video that is one of my favorites. It's this little kid. He must be like, Oh, I don't know, like four. And he's, desperate to help with the laundry, but it's a top-loading washing machine, so he can't get in there. So he's got his body over the top, and his you know parents right there if he's going to fall in the washing machine because someone had to film it. Um, but he's, uh, he's climbing into the washing machine, and he turns to his sister, who's pre-verbal. She's a tiny little toddler, and he turns to her and he says, Whatever her name is, if I fall in, you just grab my legs and help pull them <laughs> back out. And at one point, he actually gets to the point where he can't pull himself out quite enough, and so his little sister comes over and grabs <gasps> his pant legs and pulls him back just a tiny bit so that he could pull the laundry out of the washer and Ugh. put it in the dryer. It kills me. You should see the videos. That's like, amazing, that's so great. Yeah, but see, I love it, it shows
0: they want it, they crave it,
2: and. Well, and it has a protective, it has a protective impact on their, um, their mental health i mean there are a bunch of different studies that show that when kids are contributing to the household whether that's because they're helping with household duties or because they have you know during there was some some uh, studies during the depression of kids who were able to go out and earn a little bit of penny money you know just to sort of contribute to the family that they're less likely to um, suffer the adverse emotional consequences when things go wrong in the household if there's a divorce if there's a death in the family if someone gets sick Sick, kids who are participating in keeping the family moving forward and running are less impacted by negatively impacted by uh-huh. those adverse con those adverse situations.
1: That makes sense. Wow. Definitely makes sense. Okay, I have a question about that. So we I was just watching the girl from Big Bang Theory I can't even think of what her real name is, but she just came Miles out with this be Alec? Yes. My yes. And Bial- yes. She just came out with this video about how she will not pay anyone for house... She will not pay her children for household chores or contributions.
2: absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because she's like, I have to do the laundry and I don't get paid, so... Right. You know well, there's a whole book about it too, actually. There's a book by the your money columnist at the New York Times. His name is Ron Lieber, and he has two little kids and his book is called The Opposite of Spoiled. It's one it came out at the almost the exact same time as my book and it's wonderful. And I go into it in Gift of Failure about why I don't pay my kids to do stuff around the house because we all support each other and it's part of being the family. But actually Ron does a really great breakdown of why exactly it's important that kids, Kids get an allowance to learn how to deal with money, and that's very important. Don't underestimate that. But that's separate from whether or not they participate in keeping the family moving forward. You're just making
1: me think in retrospect. I'm like, yeah, my my dad didn't pay me to do the dishes, but I got an allowance. I got you know, my right. I think I got like seven dollars a week, and I could do right. what I wanted with that seven dollars. And right,
2: but it wasn't. And there's there are lots of different you know for, strategies yeah. for for doing allowance, but the yeah. big one is that we don't tie it to being a part of right. the family. We tie it to You know, oh, here's some money and you need to learn how to save and spend and give and how you do that isn't learn. That is important, too.
1: Yeah. I love the way you say it, being part of the family, because it is. I don't pay my husband when he empties the dishwasher.
2: Like, (laughs) I I mean, I I would love to tell (laughs) you that. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I would love to tell you that this suddenly gets easier. But my kids are now 21 and 16. And um, I had a conversation with them day before yesterday about um, the fact that suddenly they forgot that. Dishes go in the dishwasher. I I don't know. 16 and 21, and yet suddenly they forgot. And so, you know, I just stood there and I said, you know, if you don't do this, it's I have to, it's not like it's just gonna happen. Someone is gonna have to do it. And we all live here together and support each other. And so if you could just, you know, it's it's part of thinking about the family. And it's a habit. And one of the things that we know about the development of habits is that it takes really about a season um and this is in KJ Del Antonio's book How to Be a Happier Parent it's also in a bunch of other books about developing habits but KJ said you know one of the things we tend to do is have these like chore charts where the chores rotate every week or whatever a week is not long enough to develop a habit a season is what we need about 3 months to develop a habit and so if we give kids responsibilities and let them sort of get in the habit of doing that thing and help them understand how it does participate in our help, how it does help keep the family running, and we appreciate them for that, then that can be long enough to sort of get those things solidified as cool. as routines. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Such good, such good nuggets. Okay, a season. <laughs> Got to write it
2: down. <laughs> a season. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now that I mean, if you can also tie it to things like natural consequences. So I joke in the, I don't know if I wrote this gift of failure, but I wrote about it after is that um so our old house before we moved we heated exclusive, almost exclusively with wood and i don't mind if the house is cold and one my kid's job was to keep the wood supply stocked in the um in our mudroom we lived in new hampshire and if the f- i didn't have any wood i didn't start the fire <laughs> and so it was cold <laughs> so or, smart you know well, also, you know, in the summer, we had these apple trees in our backyard and every summer, obviously, the apples would drop. And when the apples dropped, they made the area where the kid, kids played, where they had like a tree house and stuff, not only did they make it squishy and disgusting and you couldn't go around barefoot, but the wasps would eat the apples. So if the kids wanted to be able to play in their area and, you know, in the backyard that they loved, part of their job was going to be once a week to pick up the apples and put them in these tubs so that they had a, a nice area to play and, you know, helping g- choosing the tasks that they do so that they're tied into things that will really impact them, especially early on. It can help them see how, oh, this thing isn't going to magically happen. And it makes my life better, too, when I do these things. That's that can be kind of the key to, you know, getting Wait, them really. It sounds really-
1: like we have to move to New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> Let them learn that way. That would help. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well also one of the really fun things about collecting the apples is that we had a bear rehabber um he would his name is Ben Killam and he's been in he's had been in a ton of documentaries and books. He was in the movie Pandas, that one about the um the pandas in China and the researchers that went to New Hampshire to learn how to help the pandas. So Ben Killam was the guy in New Hampshire. He was our neighbor. And so once my kid put the, all the apples in the tubs, then we would drag them to the end of our driveway. And the kids knew that those apples were going to feed the baby bears that Ben was rehabbing. So it was cool. a nice little a, circle of love yeah. situation in our yard <laughs> that's, that's
0: amazing. No, New Hampshire sounds awesome. <laughs> It
2: It is pretty cool. So
0: I want to transition in. I was listening to you, um, on another podcast and you mentioned something I'd never heard before. And it was the type of school that you ended up putting your, your kids in. And it's like a standard based testing or formative Mm -hmm. testing versus the ABCD traditional (laughs) grading can you
2: share That's so close Yeah, you
0: <laughs> can you share it's very very close. yeah tell me all about it whatever it is because I'm super interested and in- I was talking to Kristen about it and we dip- yeah. we differ which is interesting because Kristen and I are so similar <laughs> but we differ in the type of school that we would you know put our kid in or think we would thrive in
2: okay so as a teacher what I care about most obviously is the learning and um So one of the, as opposed to whether or not it's a A minus or a B plus, as a parent, so picture, you know, you, your kids are little right now, but picture in a, you know, in a fewer years than you expect, you're going to be getting these report cards and on the report card, you could have maybe an A or a B and you're like. Okay, great. That's fantastic. I'm proud of you. But that you also don't know what that B means. Like, what do they know and what do they not know? Do they know the difference between a noun and a verb? Do they know how to use a noun in a sentence? Um, As a teacher, when I get a transcript, and especially at the rehab where I was teaching and the kids were highly mobile because many of them were like foster kids and they moved around a lot. Um, and change schools a lot. It was really useful for me to get their transcripts sometimes because sometimes you just get a list of grades and the list of grades as a teacher doesn't mean a lot to me. I can tell if they were an A student or a D student, but not much else. I didn't know what they know or didn't know. So there's this new thing called standards-based grading and standards-based grading has been around for a little while, but it's really become popular in the past couple of years. And essentially what it is, is since we have lists of standards, lists of what's supposed to be taught at each grade level, whether that's in the form of the common core state standards or some individual, you know, some version of that that a school has decided to tweak. You don't have to use the common core state standards. Um, so let's say in ninth grade in English, you need to know, you know, these 26 skills. And I can look at a report card and see whether or not my child has actually mastered those skills. The skills are listed and you can see, you know, whether your kid has, you know, not grasped the concept, is sort of just tenuously grasped the concept or has mastery of the concept. And so from a parenting perspective, for me, it's really great because I can get a report card for my kid for math, for example. And if my kid is struggling in math, I can see exactly what he doesn't have mastery of and what he does have mastery mastery of and what he needs to have mastery of in order to move to the next level. So then if I wanted to, for example, I could hire a tutor or I could get my kid extra help or go to Khan Academy and help him sort of strengthen those skills that he does not yet have mastery of as opposed to, great, um, he has a B. I don't know what that means. So both as a parent and as a teacher, standards-based grading gives me more information. You also used the word formative. Formative refers to the kind of assessments that kids get. So if you think about what a uh, a big, te- remember how, so we would go to chemistry class and the teacher would say, hi, welcome to chemistry 101. And then you have, well, we'll do unit one and we may have a quiz here and there, but at the end of this unit, there'll be a big test that's worth 80% of your grade. Yes, you're, you're mm-hmm. And if you think about- You're
0: panicking me. About- like
2: <laughs> If you think about what that test is, that test is a snapshot of what that kid knows on that day, right? Mm -hmm. Now, some kids will be ready for that test and some kids will not be ready for that test. Not every kid learns at the same rate. Not every teacher is as effective as they would like to be. And so maybe some of their, you know, half their class may not be there yet. That's called a summative or cumulative assessment. Formative assessments are these Sort of lower stakes, um, sometimes daily. Uh, my husband, who taught at Dartmouth College for a while, uh, he would he could text, he could put a like a question up on the board or up on the you know project the thing, the question, and then the students could anonymously text their answers so that the professor could see exactly where what the kid where the kids were with this concept, and he it was formative for the kids because they the students because they could say oh, shoot, I thought the answer to that was A. I must not really understand that. And it's formative for the professor because the professor can say, oh, shoot, I thought I taught that really well. (laughs) But half the class thinks the answer is D. Um, So we as humans are really bad at this thing called metacognition, which is knowing what we do and don't know. And formative assessments really help us come to terms with that. It makes it so that if I'm gonna give a big test, I know already where my students are even before I give the test because I've been giving lots of low stakes quizzes along the way. So, you're talking about two different concepts, but two concepts also that work really well together. So, yes, when we moved recently, the school we chose, the, the town we chose to move to, happened to be in a district where the school uses standards based grading as opposed to A through F grading. And that was really yeah. important to me as someone who's interested more in the process of learning than the end product of learning. And that makes total sense. I like, now that you explain it, it totally yeah. makes sense. Do they still get a grade? So, so it depends. So this is all about execution. And you can tell who's uh, the one that loved. I need that A. I I
1: need it now. But I also feel like it's the way that you said it. I would want the has mastered. You know, like I want to be the one that has mastered the
2: subject. You know. So. It turns out that a standards-based grading is varies in execution all across the country. So I spoke at a middle school in Indiana a couple of years ago where they were transitioning to standards-based grading, and they brought me in to help the parents understand it a little bit better. Um, and That school decided that they would create these kind of loosey-goosey grades based on the standards-based grading because they knew that the parents were going to flip out if they didn't see a grade because that's what parents sort of expect and want to see. Um, other schools, no, there is no actual grade. There's maybe a one, two, or three. Like one does not have mastery, two is gaining mastery, three has mastery, or vice versa. I've seen it the other way as well. So it really depends on the school, and it depends a lot on um, how they set the standards-based assessments up and how they set the report cards up. Because there's also a thousand and one different report gr- card. Um, software programs. So it really, really depends uh, on how it's done. And as with so many concepts in education, so many trends in education, uh, it all depends on the execution. There's a really great book if you want to know more about it um, called, and I'm looking around my bookshelf <laughs> now, um, called Standards-Based Grading. It's in my room somewhere here. I don't know exactly where. Is um, it? Something like the Standards-Based Classroom, I believe is okay. what it's called
1: because my head's like spinning, like, then how do you get a 4.0 to get into a good college? And
2: then how do you get a 4.0 in college to get into a good law school? And, you know, like, that's a fantastic question. And it turns out colleges (laughs) are changing. So it used to be that colleges used to have to keep an eye out for Hampshire College, Evergreen College, um, a bunch of other colleges in this country that don't do grades that have never done grades. Like um, my husband has a med school classmate. My husband went to Duke and he had a classmate who went to Evergreen for college and Duke rejected her out of hand because she had no grades because they didn't understand that evergreen doesn't give grades but Mm -hmm. once they understood what her transcript meant and that did require some explanation from evergreen and from the the candidate uh she was accepted because they were the nice thing for colleges though think about it this way as a college would you like to know that a kid has a b in calculus or would you like to know exactly what they know and don't know in calculus because as it turns out one of the things that has become a trend is AP lots of AP classes right mm-hmm. AP classes are increasingly not accepted by colleges because they have come to understand colleges have come to understand that AP classes are not what they were intended to be, which was college level content at a high school level. So all of a sudden, all these schools who have kids who who technically look like they should have a college level understanding of calculus are having to repeat freshman year calculus. And so in order to get around that, some schools are doing things like placement tests and stuff like that. But if you have a standards-based transcript, they can see from day one what you know and don't know. And so colleges are having to, and if you look at, uh, if you go to mastery.org, it's an entire consortium of um, what's called the mastery, uh, mastery-based transcripts. And I'm gonna. I'm really keeping a close eye to see how this evolves because I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited.
0: I'm excited as somebody who, I who struggled mm-hmm. through. I didn't struggle through high school, but I took more pride in my in being an athlete than I did in academics. But it was primarily because I personally didn't thrive. I'd panic. Um, I could study all night for a test, but I'd get in and I'd panic and have such bad anxiety, and I'd bomb a test. I, I would know the concepts, right. but I would struggle so bad because I'm such a perfectionist. It happened all the way until I went to nursing school where my school did a different type of test. or it just, right. they did smaller quizzes. They did different um, right. learning projects with groups and this it was so different and I was able to fully um, embrace the concepts. It, just, it was just different for me. So I understand and I hope that, you know, I hope that we can... I don't know, go to, towards more of this instead of just like, A, good job, you're great, you're perfect Hi. for the kids who have anxiety or the kids who struggle mm-hmm. a little bit more. That really, that A, B, C, D grading can really um, deter someone from thinking that they are smart. It almost deterred me
2: from going to nursing school. Right. Um, well, and if your teacher had used formative assessments, um, your teacher would have already known that you knew the concepts, and that by the time you got to a summative, um, your teacher would have been able to recognize whatever it was that was going on with your test taking abilities. And it's not the the interesting thing about this is that one of the things we know about learning is that the fastest way to interrupt learning is to int- is to introduce stress. So while I am not saying that school should be stress free, absolutely not, and yet yes, we have to get them ready for college and yes, we have to get them ready for life out in the workforce. But for example, um, we know that timing kids on their math facts increases math anxiety and for some kids can make it so that they can't perform under that kind of pressure. And, by the way, mastery and speed are not the same thing. Right. So why are we timing math facts? And if you go to ucubed.org, they'll explain there the research on why timing kids on math facts is a bad idea. So if, if, for example, your teacher wanted to know that you knew the concepts, reducing the stress by having frequent formative assessments is the way to go. And the nice thing also about it is that if you do have a big summative assessment, um in a really good standards-based classroom, they give you the ability to fill out these um, sort of worksheets to explain to yourself, really. Yes, it's partly for the teacher, but it's also to explain to yourself what you did and didn't understand and what you thought you knew and what you didn't know and what you think you could do differently next time. And those worksheets are the basis for how you lay the foundation for learning. And what's going to be really interesting are things like – this is going to be the real test. So, you know, if you get like, let's say you got an F on your biology test because you were freaked out and then you took it again a week and a half later, once you realized, oh, I didn't really understand those concepts. Let me go back and relearn them. What should your grade be? Should it be an average of the two? Should you get a C? Well, no, you should get an A because you understand the concepts now, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's going to be the real test of sort of how this stuff gets applied and it's i'm just i'm optimistic i'm one of those horrifyingly <laughs> optimistic people where you know i i think we're headed in the right direction well, we need yes. you we need you to
0: keep being <laughs> optimistic yes <laughs> honestly we we do <laughs> all
2: right well and if you want to, and and one of you mentioned you have a 4 year old and and i have to plug really quickly mainly cuz i love it so much is um I got to write the curriculum for a show called The Stinky and Dirty Show on Amazon Prime. And that show is all about all the concepts we're talking about. When you do something wrong, not flipping out and freaking out and thinking you're a failure, but taking what you screwed up and saying, huh, what? what worked about that and what didn't work about that and what am I going to do differently next time? And that was super fun to work on that and sort of get inside a preschooler's brain um, and, and help the characters on that show have a positive adaptive response to their own failures. It was really, really fun. I just
0: heard you talk about it on another podcast and I was like, we have Amazon Prime, so I, we're going to we're going to let her uh, watch it and and see what she thinks. I love
2: stinky yeah. and dirty. I love them. <laughs> They're based on the book "I Stink and I'm Dirty" by um, Kate and Jim McMullen, and books that I both love that I love.
1: Perfect. <laughs> Adding it to the, the library. library. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know there's so there's, I
0: know we're like taking it (laughs) in here. Um, so what is (laughs) one tangible tip or piece of advice that you could give to parents right now to kind of empower them, to let them allow their kids to, you know, have some autonomy to make mistakes? What's like the one thing you kind of share with Hmm. parents?
2: One is the one I already mentioned, which is, you know, try really hard to think not in this emergency situation today. Like this homework assignment needs to be perfect. This, you know, Mike, I have to drive the kids' soccer cleats to school today because this afternoon's game is so important. But think more long term. Do I want today to go perfectly perfectly? Or do I want my kid to be the kind of kid who will remember their cleats themselves next time? Think more long-term and less about the day-to-day emergencies. And that helps me with lots of things, not just my parenting. And then the other thing that I have to do a lot is, um, and this works especially well for highly anxious kids and kids who are really perfectionistic, which is to think more about um, the process and less about the product. Focus more about you know, when you know, when the kid comes home with that A or the kid comes home with that F, say things like, oh, that's a really, so that's interesting grade. So h- what did you do to get that grade? What are you going to do next time that you didn't do this time? Or what are you not going to do next time that you did this time? How are you going to make things either repeat next time or how are you going to make things different for next time? All of that discussion of process helps really anxious kids sort of get out of the death spiral of, it's not an A minus, it's a B plus, and why is she so horrible? Why is my teacher so mean? It can help them get out of that spiral and, and focus back on what's most important, um, which is the learning, and which actually will help them believe you when you say things like, what I really care about is the learning and not the grade. I think what you just
1: speak all across the board is letting kids be kids and letting kids have decisions in their lives Mm -hmm. and letting kids have opinions and ideas about their own lives and us trying to figure out what those are and best cultivate them and ask them and listen. And I don't know, you just, you have this like very common theme in how you approach all levels of parenting from curiosity to school to everything. And I think it's such a good Thing for me as I'm just new in this parenting game to kind of remember and to keep as a theme as I go through parenting. So well, I, and I it's appreciate one of the, that. One of
2: the biggest things to remember is that the more we do that, the more we possibly foster this thing called intrinsic motivation, which is kids doing things for the sake of the thing itself and not because they're hoping for a trophy or an A. That intrinsic motivation happens when we give them more autonomy, we help them feel competent and not just confident. We help them back up that confidence with some experience, actually trying and failing and trying again and getting it right. And we're connected to them, which means that we love the kid we have, not the kid we wish we had. And we don't just love them based on their performance. That's how we get intrinsic motivation. And that's how we get kids invested in piano or soccer or school or whatever for the long run. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Mic drop. Every parent. Like, <laughs> seriously, it
0: is. It's um, reading your book. It's the same as when I was reading your book. I was just like, yes, yes, I needed this. And <laughs> it, you just need that reminder, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, you just need yeah. that reminder. So. We, of course, are going to link every, we're going to link every
2: book you talked about too. Um, yes. And hey, I'll send you, I have a bibliography on my website. It's actually right there sitting on my website. I'll, I'll link, I'll send you the oh, link cool. to it so that everyone can see it. there's links to all the videos and books and everything I talk about. um usually on my, uh, on this bibliography. Perfect.
0: So awesome. we're not going to leave you guys without resources. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, we want to talk to you and, and do a couple of, TGL segments real quick. We yes. love, love it. To play love it. Yay and nay with wit and Kay. <laughs> we try to be positive okay. most of the time, but sometimes there's some negatives. So we love to hear your yay for <laughs> the day and your nay.
2: We do this in the form, by the way, at dinner and we call it high, low, funny. That's what we always do at our dinner. I love we that. The funny. Yeah. So yay is, um, I got my, my yay is that, uh, I finally, Gift of Failure, when I first wrote it, the first draft was a total disaster. It really was quite bad. And my editor had to break that bad news to me. And um, one of the things I had to do in order to get Gift of Failure in shape was just deal with the fact that I was a complete, utter failure at writing a book. About failure, <laughs> and so, and here all of the the criticism that she gave back to me about that book, and so I, you know, I heard all that criticism. I wrote down all that criticism. I made checklists about how not to make those same mistakes again. And I just got back my um, edits on my new manuscript for my book that'll be out next year about um, preventing substance abuse in kids. And she actually wrote in the on in the sort of the the margins that I must have learned from my mistakes and my failures because this this book is much better written than Gift of Failure was in its first draft. So I, thanks. And it was a big moment for me taking a bit of my own medicine. So that's my yay. That's amazing. Yeah, that's my my nay. My nay would have to be, you know, the moments, even that my 21 year old and my 16 year old were home over winter break. And I realized that, all those things that I thought I'd taught them about, you know, all those moments where I was like, oh, man, we nailed the whole dishwasher thing like five years ago. And then I realized, OK, no, that's sort of an ongoing process. <laughs> I actually I, I actually had to solve that problem for myself once before uh, my Sixteen-year-old, well, he was younger then, claimed to have forgotten how to do the laundry. So I wrote this blog post called "Special Care Instructions," where I wrote all over the outside of my washer and dryer with a dry erase marker all of the instructions you could possibly <laughs> need to do your own laundry. And it's uh, there. It's on my website, oh, and there's pictures goodness. of washer and dryer with like all the instructions, like "Stop! Are your underpants still balled up inside <laughs> your jeans? <gasps> oh, Undo my that!" Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Before oh,
1: well, if it makes you feel any better, I still have to teach my 33-year-old husband some of those lessons every once in a while.
2: Yeah, I'm saying those instructions are for my children, but, you know, every once in a while, they have come in handy for the scouts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those are great A&As. Yes. I love that. Oh. <laughs>
1: Our second section on TGL that's one of our favorites, Whitney and I have been best friends since we were 13, and so we think that some of your best advice comes from your girl bosses in your life, and we've definitely given each other our fair share of advice. So we would love to hear what is the best piece of advice you've ever received from a best friend?
2: My two best friends I text with all day long, every day. They're my co-hosts on my podcast as well, and I, I can't even begin to tell you how wise these women have, have um, been for me. But KJ Delantonia told me once that comment, she was my editor at the New York Times. And she was trying to teach me about not reading the comments, how, you know, sometimes you need to just let those things go. Um, and she told me that the only comments that have ever bothered her are comments that touch on something that she already knew was a failing of hers. So when she gets really mad over a comment, she thinks, well, is this just BS and some person just sort of spouting off or is this something that I already knew was a problem and I don't want to face it? So now when I want to get mad at someone for criticizing me or my work, um it's really helpful for me to pause and think, now is this just really off base or is this something that I kind of already knew I was doing wrong or that I could get better at? And that's been a huge, uh, learning. That's been a huge moment for me, a big thing that has helped me get better at dismissing the things that are just someone else's issue and uh, actually pay attention to things that help me become better.
0: Right. Wow. Well, I think we can all use that. I think that's a great yeah. thing to ask yourself.
2: <laughs> you know, and so I'll just was, repeat, don't read the in, comments. Yeah. I, you know, I <laughs> just don't
0: read the comments.
1: <laughs> don't
2: read them. <laughs>
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh. It's been such a pleasure. We want everyone to be able to find you. So tell um tell our listeners where they can find you on social and um, about your podcast. We we want them to know everything.
2: So I'm always at JessicaLahey.com. And in fact, on JessicaLahey.com under events, you can see my tour schedule. I'm just about to go back out on the road. I'm home like seven days in March. It's ridiculous. In fact, I'll be in your state, ladies, twice. Wow. Um, i near you, so you should check my schedule. Um, I would love to meet you in person. And uh, I'm also on Instagram at, at TeacherLahey, and I'm on Twitter. Twitter is my main my main place, mainly because as a profession, teachers are the largest users of Twitter. And so I follow about 12,000 teachers on Twitter. I love Twitter. But Instagram, TeacherLahey, and Twitter is at JessLahey. My, my podcast is called Hashtag AmWriting. It's about the, li- the life of a writer, the business, the, um, my, po- my co-hosts are my former New York Times editor, who's now a fiction writer, and uh, KJ Delantonia, and Serena Bowen, who is a best-selling many times over romance author who also happens to be an economist. So uh, oh. it's, a really fun, uh, it's a really fun podcast where we get to interview authors and we talk about the business of writing and essentially just getting the work done. Cool. Hashtag am writing. Hashtag AMRI.
1: We'll have all this on our site so our our follower or our listeners can find you. and we'll link all the books that like I said. So, Jessica, Lovely. thank you so much for joining us. It's been our pleasure.
2: Oh, thank you. This has just been a blast, honestly. It's been really, really fun.